Hey folks, welcome back to the Wild Podcast. I'm your host, Dylan Ayers. And in this podcast, we want to share mentorship to learn how to hunt, fish, and gather wild food. Our goal is to reduce barriers and create an inclusive and welcoming community for all folks who want to learn how to eat wild. So join us as we share stories, ethics, adventures, and knowledge about a way of life that's rooted in eating wild. Hey folks, welcome back to the Eat Wild Podcast. I'm your host, Dylan Ayers. All right, I'm pretty excited about this podcast because I'm finally hooking up with my friend, Joe Appel. Joe is a guy from Squamish that ended up playing professional football, won a great cup, retired, and now he's part of the sort of media hunting community and some doing some pretty cool things. He's a, he's a host on the Edge uh, hunting show, which you can find on, on Wild wild tv here on our on our networks here in, in, in canada and uh and he's also just telling good stories on social media and other stuff so pretty fun guy and, and we've been talking about hanging out for some time and so we finally got him pinned down and he's hanging out on the show he, he's had an epic hunting season kind of covered all his bases this past year so i thought it would be kind of fun to get him on the show and debrief his his, his uh his hunting season we uh we cover off pretty much all the species and uh, we even take some time and talk about fire cooking uh, with with you know fresh game over a fire and our favorite technique so worth hanging out for this one this episode of course is brought to you by our friends at west coast kitchen canada where you can get amazing dehydrated food for your uh for your adventures and use the discount code eat wild for a deal um also i should do a shout out to some of the work that we've been doing on eat wild if you are excited about becoming a hunter and you want to get your hunting license you can do that with us online you can take the core online with eat wild we've just put all of our learning content on it on the thinkific learning platform you go to our website you can sign up for the course you can have um, all of our lecture series and you can download it watch it at your own pace hang out with us we're also building up our eat wild uh, webinar series so if you're interested in doing a deeper dive on stuff like meat care uh, with eat wild you can download that uh, webinar as well so some fun stuff coming out of our of our content and uh, so if you want to continue learning with eat wild all right let's get into this one hey joe nice to have you on the podcast it's been five years we've been talking about hanging out or something feels like it Dylan, it is, yeah, it's great to finally connect on here you and i have been playing phone tag and messaging we were trying to get trying to get one going in person there for a bit as well but then uh the world kind of took a bit of a turn <laughs> yeah totally well I, it's kind of i mean it's kind of a blessing for the like the, in the for the podcasters of the world that this is now the reality and people are somewhat prepared you got a decent mic in front of you you got a looks like you got a a cocktail next year like you're, you're prepared to have a conversation and it it's actually a lot easier to kind of now that people are kind of and the software is at a place where we can sit down for an hour and have a drink together and catch up on our hunting seasons. And it's actually a whole lot easier than one of us, you know, driving to Squamish or one of us driving to the city to have a longer hang. But, um, yeah, I know. Heck, well, hopefully we'll do that soon and, you know, share a meal and. Ab- absolutely. I see what you cook. I'd love to sit down at your table sometime, but I, I would agree the, uh, the remote capabilities now are pretty nice. Cause you know, you mentioned a drink, but we can make our drinks that little bit tastier if we don't have to drive afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I got my backup beer sitting here. Yeah, I'm ready. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's right on, man. Well, thanks for taking some time and hanging out. I, I, I was pretty excited. I was following along with you this year, and you've had a great, great season. And uh, I, I, I want to talk a little bit about your season, but first, maybe I should just kind of catch, give the, the, give the listeners a little bit of background on you. So, you. The, you were a professional uh, football player, and now you're involved in the hunting media industry, and you're you're also a star in in the Edge, which is a Canadian based uh, uh, outdoor show. And and uh, I see you around a bit, and 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 uh, you're doing cool stuff. So so tell me how you went from being a professional football player to a you know a figure in the hunting media realm, and how did all that come together? Yeah, it's it's been a whirlwind. I've been very fortunate. Um... You know, that my passions have lined up with uh, opportunities in my life. I mean, first and foremost, I think the the primary reason I ended up 
being involved with the outdoors and in the hunting community is that was my that was my first love um i grew up here in brackadale or squamish bc and um you know that was a big part of our lifestyle growing up was hunting fishing mushrooming gardening beehives all that kind of crazy fun stuff uh it was a big part of my life and a lot of my passion in my youth then my athletic career kind of took me a different direction um it I, to be honest, I love the outdoors more than I love sports, but it was a, it was a, an opportunity that I saw to further myself a little bit, open a lot of doors. Um, and then, yeah, when my, my athletic career wrapped up, I became that kind of old dude in the locker room that was falling apart and held together with duct tape. I uh, smartened <laughs> up, <laughs> packed up my locker, and then I, I went back to school. Um, I got my MBA in, in, in marketing and advertising and and, um, yeah, I just through a crazy series of opportunities. Um, I, I was blessed with a really cool opportunity with wild TV. I mean, growing up kids watch cartoons and I watched hunting shows and like, it, believe it or not, when I was a young kid, obviously me being a, a giant, I'm six, eight, and I was getting pretty big. Um, like if, if people ask me, you know, what's your, what's your dream? What do you want to do when you grow up? I would say professional athlete because I thought it was attainable. I never said, you know, a professional hunter or a host of a, a TV show about hunting because in my mind that just was so far out of reach. It would never wow. become a reality. So I settled on becoming a professional athlete and <laughs> I guess I checked that box off and then grew into the next one, which has been pretty cool. Oh, that that's awesome. So I, I'm kind of curious in those years that you were, you were dedicating yourself to, to sport. I mean, I, I've hung out with other professional athletes and in my community. And I actually, I, I had Brendan Morrison actually on the podcast a while back. And nice. one of the things we kind of touched on and, and thought it was, you know, that how much dedication being a professional athlete requires and, and having to sort of like for you, someone who has uh, stepped away from something you love, like sport, uh, sorry, like hunting and had to dedicate, did you find time to reconnect with hunting while pursuing your professional career? Uh, if I'm being perfectly honest, um, not as much as I would have liked to. I mean, from a very early age, I think people saw, I, I was never an overly skilled athlete during my earlier career. Um, but everybody kept saying, you can't teach size and you know, he's stubborn and, and, um, I'm a hard worker. I was always a hard worker. So they, they put a lot of time and effort into me. And, um, like my second year playing football, community league football, I actually quit. I played football for a year. Then I quit because it interfered with my hunting too much. And I would sit at home crying because I wasn't allowed to go hunting on the weekend. I had to go play a football game. Um, so then I quit for a year and then finally my parents said, listen, if you come back, they saw that it was a, a good direction for me to be going. So they said, if you, if you go back to playing football, we'll let you skip school from time to time to go hunting. And that was kind of our little agreement. Um, but, but as that, that kind of path in my life, um, progressed, um, you know, I was on the national team for track and field as well. So I was a, I was a competitive thrower. I did shot hammer and disc and then, uh, pursued my, my athletic career in football. As that progressed, it was one of those all consuming situations. I missed out. I like, I don't want to say I missed out, but I sacrificed a lot in life, hunting, fishing, mushrooming, camping, um, you know your high school parties, all of that. Like I was a bit of a recluse. I was very one, like single track focus. Um, so, so yeah, I mean, I, I missed out on a lot and I feel like in some ways that's probably why I'm so hell bent on doing crazy stuff now. Cause I'm, uh, one kind of making up for lost time and two, um, trying to push myself and see what those limits are. And when I find limits, I'm pretty stubborn and I want to break through them pretty quick too. <laughs> <laughs> right on. No, that, that, that's cool. I mean, that I, I can, I couldn't imagine, like, I've always put hunting kind of ahead of kind of everything else. And, and, uh, and it kind of, I, I kind of like, I, I would actually be kind of scared of a life without hunting. I've had some cool opportunities that have come by that like, travel with related to traveling to different countries and working and, and, uh, and like, well, the, the opportunity is so awesome. I'm like, but I would have to like step away from this, like part of my life. It just feeds so, feeds me so much like the hunting and the fishing. I just couldn't, I mean, I don't know if I can replace it with something else to, to fill me up the way that hunting and fishing does. Nothing, nothing will ever be able to replace that, um, 
that pursuit just in, in the wilderness. I, I don't necessarily know that it has to be. I mean, hunting is a very primal connection, I think, to to everything. And it, you become so aware of your surroundings and so kind of uh, connected with the situation. But just the outdoors in general, I think, is essential. I, I definitely, you know, um, like I mentioned, I became very single track minded when I was an athlete and a student and doing all of that. And I missed out on a lot of hunting. And I can say without a doubt that it was a huge void in my life. And it was very noticed. Um, like I wasn't, I was not completely satisfied or happy during that time. And, and I can say that going out on a week long hunt and coming home, you know, without firing a shot to me is far more fulfilling than three quarters of my athletic career. Interesting. Okay. I have some questions at the end. I have some like, would you rather <laughs> questions that involve like sport and hunting? So I, I look forward to coming back to them because it'll be interesting what your answers are, but let, let's chat a little bit. Well, first off, let's get the, I, I do want to know, uh, you, you do star in a show right now. It's called the edge. Why would you think an eat wild listener would like to watch the edge? Someone who's part of our community that's learning the hunt and, uh, and, uh, yeah, trying to, try to be part of this and find their way. Why would they like to tune in? I mean, if I'm being a hundred percent honest, I mean, uh, the edge is co-hosted by Steve Eklund and myself. Steve's been with the show for a lot longer than I have. I've been on, this is my third or fourth year now. Uh, but to be perfectly honest, um, we are just small town guys that grew up and have pursued a genuine passion and love uh, pursuit for the outdoors and we've been fortunate enough to be given some pretty amazing opportunities to go out and, and do these things but um like by no means are we these crazy wild dudes that that just bought their way into it and have like have everything handed them handed to them on a silver platter like we work our butts off uh we we experience all the highs and lows and it's i i, I just feel like it's a very real show uh, i hope it comes across that way but uh you know like I, I'm a small town kid. I grew up here in Brackendale, BC. My dad was a welder and my mom picked up jobs from time to time. Most of the time, like who knows what it was, right? Like we literally hunted to put food on our table and Steve did the exact same on his side. Um, his story is very similar to mine. Um, obviously he's much better at telling it than I am, but, but <laughs> he, he, he fell in love with the outdoors in a very true, genuine way as well. So, um, you know, I think it's, that's something that I would imagine would be very relatable for most people that tune in, especially given the type of content that you put out. Yeah, right on. No, that I, that totally comes across. The, the other thing I, I like about what you know, I, I actually I, I struggle with most hunting shows. I I, I struggle with you know, uh, yeah, just being <laughs> such an avid hunter. I, I some of the stuff is just hard to watch. I they, but I actually kind of I, I do enjoy the edge, and I I, I enjoy that it's just sort of. You know, yeah, like you said, like genuine people out there enjoying their passion, and, and a lot there's a lot of content with Western Canada, which I really enjoy too. It's uh, showing lots of cool hunts, and mm -hmm. and uh, yeah, you guys do a great job. So um, I do, I do, I do record your episodes on my PVR, which I, I it's the only one that I I try. I I keep going through the Rolodex of wild TV stuff, and there's a couple of whitetail shows that I kind of get a kick out of seeing those you know Midwest whitetails and stuff. But yeah, yeah you guys are a go to for. When I want to burn a burn a burn a burn an hour doing some yoga or something, I throw it on. <laughs> Thanks, man. I uh, I really yeah. appreciate it. I think um, you know, hopefully, hopefully you get a few laughs. Most of them with us, some of them at us, I'm sure. But uh... <laughs> oh, and, and try, I got a lo I got a long like list of notes of stuff that you're you're like I, I'd like to provide some advice on and how you could do better. So on how uh, on what I could do better. Oh, hunting techniques, that type of thing. Oh, no dude, I, I'll, I'll... I need them all, man. I need them all. I thought <laughs> you were kidding. saying you thought I had a lot to offer, and I was going to say you're asking <laughs> you're asking the wrong dude. I'm figuring it out as no, I go. I was just playing on my critique thing, but no, no, all good. I'm just kidding around. Okay, um, I'm, I'm so the reason I was so let let's you 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 were saying like you had a break from obviously hunting as a as you proceed your professional career. And it feels like this year you've probably made up for a lot of lost time. And uh, I, I, I have sort of seen Instagram images of a, of a moose, an elk, uh, a mule deer. I think there's a turkey there and a blacktail. Have, have I got the whole list for this fall? This fall, yes. Well, this uh, the turkey was in the spring. I actually I also got an absolutely beautiful black bear in the spring as well. Um, I, I, this season has been a wild one for me. Um, hands down my most successful season I've had yet, uh, in my hunting career. 
uh, if you can call it that, just in my hunting experience. I've been very, very fortunate. Um, yeah, my freezer doesn't have much room left in it. I'll put it that way. <laughs> well, you got a baby on the way, so you're like you you are feeding a family of three now, right? So yeah, and he you, you need the moose for sure. He's two weeks ago. He was already measuring at nine pounds, still in the womb. So, um, I think <laughs> I think he's gonna walk out of there a teenager. So I yeah, he's gonna have a bottomless pit for a belly. So it's a good thing I have a full freezer. <laughs> Right on, right on. Well, congratulations on on the baby coming. That's exciting news. And well, thank you very much. Yeah, that's cool. Um, okay, so of all those hunts, what what of those hunts? Like, which which one was the most? Which one was the hardest hunt out of the species that we listed? The hardest hunt. Um, well, I mean, what you may or may not be aware of is my first trip up north. Um, it was a, a very long hunt uh, for, and it was kind of, originally it was supposed to be a caribou hunt. Um, and then things changed and we shifted to, you know, hoping for elk and potentially moose. And I was up there for a full 10 days and uh, we had one opportunity at a nice elk, but it just, things weren't lining up. So we hunted hard, long hours, early season, you know, you're, you're not sleeping, mm-hmm. right? Um, so that, so that was a long challenge. And then when we went back up, uh, the Bull moose, um, for me was a, was a big one because I've, I've hunted moose in the past. Um, and the moose hunt was something my father and I always talked about wanting to go out on a big hunt. My, my dad, my brother and I to go out and do a big moose hunt. And it, it, for one reason or another, it just never lined up. We went on one when I was young and, and never connected. Um, and then my father has since passed. So it was kind of this, it, it was a big whirlwind of emotions for me and and you saw the picture like it wasn't just a bull um you know i it was an absolutely gorgeous bull and uh it it was a very very emotional moment for me like it was this whirlwind my wife was pregnant at home pushed me to go back up and spend another 10 days in the bush um you know this this connecting on a pursuit that i started at a very early age with my father and i think being a Canadian and watching shows as a kid, just there's always this allure to moose hunting. Um, they're just this, these amazing, impressive animals, and and I think it it was just it was a really really cool hunt. How that one all came together, and it was a whirlwind of emotions, like I said. So so you hunt? Did you hunt moose with your dad? Pardon me. Did you hunt moose with your dad? Yeah, we went we went on one moose hunt when I was a kid. He pulled me out of school for ten days, and we went up north by Williams Lake, and. Uh, Saw a lot of cow moose, um, just didn't find anything that had the nice paddles on them. So we came home empty handed and, and that was one that was always like this chapter left unclosed. We were going to go back up when we had an opportunity. Um, but I, I became a stubborn testosterone filled teenager and, uh, <laughs> and I was pursuing my professional athletic career and, and, uh, it just, it just never happened. And it, it's a big regret of mine, but yeah, it never happened. Well, yeah, for sure. But he's probably was he there with you with that moose? Do you think? Uh, he was there with me um, in spirit. I I don't know if you've seen it or not, but a very uh, good friend of mine had a special knife made for me that has my father's ashes in the handle. So it, it comes. Oh, cool. Yeah, I pack it around. It comes with me everywhere I hunt. the The ashes are packed into uh, the hollowed out shells from my father's old rifle that are embedded in in the handle of the knife. So cool. he, he comes with me on all my hunts. So it's, we're, we're kind of making up for lost time and all those missed opportunities. So every time it's my first cut on every animal is with that knife and I get to sit down and just have that moment of reflection, which is really special. So he was definitely, he was definitely there with me. My buddies that were there with me, uh, we all got choked up when we sat down and had a good chat about it. It was pretty cool. Yeah. I, I, <clears throat> I shot a moose last year for the first time in I don't know, a long time. I, I got into elk hunting maybe 15 years ago. And, and, uh, and, uh, I kind of just, if you're, you have a successful elk hunt, so you don't really need to go moose hunting, right? And well, you apparently you do. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, no, no, I, I, but, uh, but, uh, we, you know, I kind of got in. My dad used to take me moose hunting and gosh, it was like, it, it was always a tough hunt. I mean, it's kind of a, you know, that you're, you're slogging it out in a kind of moosey, wet, challenging area. And, uh, and you're just waiting for some moose to like, you know, step out on the riverbank or, you know, out the edge of a logging slash or something and, you know, 
and uh, hope for, for the best the whole time. And um, yeah, it's just long, tough hunt. So I, I actually like stopped hunting moose with my dad at, once I discovered elk hunting. And then my, my dad actually passed away a few years after that. So I, mm. I hadn't really hunted moose in many, many years. And then I, uh, I, I shot this moose and man, I, 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 I like, I just, I, I just sat down with it and I was like, I was just like overwhelmed with like this connection back to my father and my grandfather who are like both moose hunters, eh? And like just being there with them. I'm like, whoa, hey, dad. Hey, hey, oh, hey, Grandpa Wally, right on. Let's do this. Let's cut this thing up. And like, that is so like cool. Clo- and so- Close as I've been to my dad in years, I was just like, it was, yeah, it was awesome, man. What so, a special yeah. moment, eh? It's like you wish you could just hold on to that sensation no matter how hard you try it, just kind of dissipates as you get farther from that moment but uh i i also think like you mentioned the moose and, and elk hunting as well but um walking up on such a huge impressive animal i think something about that like brings back this it's like this overwhelming you realize holy cow we got to get this huge animal out of the bush we got a <laughs> lot of work cut out for us and it's i don't know what it is about it or just this crazy kind of experience of realizing how big and powerful these animals are it's humbling it makes you feel small maybe that's part of what kicks in those child um childhood memories or those like early memories as well because in those moments when you first walk up i don't know if you experience it too and i'm sure other listeners who are moose hunters you walk up on a moose and like granted this was my first moose so i'm maybe you get used to it over time but i've walked up on big animals like big animals in my day and I walked up to this moose and it was just like, oh my God, the bodies on them. Like, it doesn't matter paddles or anything, but like the body on them, like the bodies. Oh my God. It's the shoulders, man. The shoulders just trip me out. They're so big, like across like the, 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 how wide they are on their shoulders and like just such an, so thick, so impressive. Just, like, yeah. Beautiful, impressive, amazing animals. Yeah. Yeah, I, I actually kind of have an affinity for moose. I I kind of find them super cute and interesting when they like when they're when I see them walking around. I just I actually have a hard time shooting them. They are ab- they are gorgeous animals. We saw two big bulls scrapping it scrapping it out on one big ridge. You, you mentioned typically where you hunt, it's kind of close quarters. We were spotting them from like three plus k away. We were going way up on these ridges and, and glass. Oh yeah, and, and yeah, getting yeah, yeah. close on them. Um, but we watched one bull come straight out of like the skyline and come all the way in and challenge a bull on this one ridge. And they seem so docile and complacent and peaceful until they mean business. And you realize <laughs> why these animals deserve so much respect in the wilderness. People say, you know, you got to stay away from moose. And everyone's like, oh, they're just a giant cow. Like you can go up and pet them. But no, like they are fierce competitors and insanely powerful yeah totally well i mean they're just they're so they're so freaking strong and uh yeah yeah well and you start when you take them apart you really see why they're so strong because these huge quarters are 150 pound quarters and like oh well anyways beautiful moose that was exciting uh so did you did you call your bull elkin uh so i mentioned earlier that i had been up north already um hunting moose and elk earlier in the year. So we had some areas where we thought this area should be full of moose and this area should be full of elk. Um, just not the right time of year and it wasn't connecting. So we actually, we got my bull moose in the area that we had thought would be an ideal spot for him. That's exactly where we turned him up. And then it took us a day and a half. It was uh, probably realistically a day to get him back to camp. Um, so we had to get him back to camp, but we were spiked out. So then we had to load up the horses from spike camp, get him back to main camp um set up there and we had one bad weather day in there as well and then the next morning we woke up and we're like all right we know this spot we want to go see if there's a, a bull elk in the area we had spotted some cows in there earlier in the year and we knew we could get some good vantage points without disrupting it too much um so we went to one there was two sits we really wanted to do we went to one spot first thing in the morning and we're sitting there and nothing not a like I, I spotted a, a spike bedded like probably four or five K away, like on a ridge, like just barely spotted him. And he was bedded and we're like, man, we thought this spot was going to be loaded. 
Um, so then we packed up from there in the morning. We'd go to the next spot, and I was kind of joking with my buddy Kyle. I'm like, okay, I spotted the first elk. It's your turn. And I don't know why. It's a trick you can't overuse when you're in the bush. If you say it too often, it never works out. But if you say it sparingly, for some reason, it always seems to play out. If you jokingly say it, like, okay, man, it's your turn. So we get to this other spot. I'm like, I'm going to start a fire. It's real cold. I'm, I'm going to start a fire. Your turn to spot it, an elk giver. And he fires off a bugle. And we look across the basin. And I kid you not, like, this is his first bugle in this spot. This bull cuts him off. Mid-bugle. Nice. From like just over a click away and he just came storming out into this opening and challenged him. And we looked and we're like, all right, guess, <laughs> guess it's on. <laughs> it is working out because we were feeling a little defeated after not seeing anything at the first spot. Um, oh, wow. But yeah, so he was tending to, I think he had three cows with him. So we had to close distance pretty quick. He was cross basin um, and we just had to close distance. It was pretty nasty. We had to go through some ravines and everything to get into to a shot opportunity, but I ended up shooting him across the base and we didn't, we didn't pull him right in though. Yeah, I was, I, I do these, um, uh, webinars, like a webinar series where I like talk about different hunting tactics and, and, and knowledge stuff and like, you know, everything from but the one I have up now, I just finished is the meat care, uh, with, with eat wild. So like everything I can share with you about meat care, I've got that into a, into a two hour webinar that you can download and, and I've got, an elk hunting one and uh, a bunch of other ones anyways. But the, the elk hunting one was, was interesting because I was going back um, through all the elk that I've been part of killing. And we'll say, I'd say like in the last 15 years, we've killed something like 25 elk in our, in our within our hunting group. And there's a few, few, few people now in our group. So, and I was thinking about how many of those elk we've called in like right close and shot and how many of those elk we've, kind of just fluked completely and there's a few of those right but you know i was thinking back i think half of the elk that i've shot have been like i've just located or spotted and snuck up to range mm-hmm. and shot them and i and i think that's it's kind of a funny thing because you, you, there's so much hunter education out there around calling and calling techniques and closing the distance with the calls and not a lot like like yeah, like that happens once in a while where you call a bull elk, elk and it just it comes within 30 yards and you get it. But yeah, the, I think probably the majority of elk that I've killed have been kind of on the spot and stock or closing the distance or yeah. know, seeing them from range and sneaking up on them. And I think they're not cooperating, basically. <laughs> yeah, elk hunting can be frustrating at the best of times. But uh, I think for me, based on my limited experience, um, like the calling and, and pulling them in nice and close is great during archery. That's, that's huge. But if you're, if you're going out with your rifle, I think spot and stock is, is the best. Um, it's, it's, it's led to the most success for myself as well as, as my buddies, the guys in my circle, we seem to have the most success with spot and stock. Um, and then getting a general idea of what animals in what location, then you can go in and, and obviously call and, and, and do that once you know what's in there and where you want them to be kind of thing and get an idea of it. But like, yeah, when it goes to just kind of rambushing a, an area and just flying in there and start bugling, like we've spent early on when I was doing elk hunting, like we spent entire days screaming back and forth with bulls. And then uh, like, especially even later in rifle season, not just archery when it's any bull in some of these locations, screaming back and forth. I'm like, oh man, that is a hammer bull. He's going to be a monster. And then he shows up and he's like this raghorn three. And you're like, oh yeah, we just spent a yeah. day and a half. <laughs> <laughs> screaming back and forth with this guy and he's he's just this little bull right so i think uh it, it fully depends on what style of hunt you're doing what t- what time of season it is as well um you know yeah that's uh, yeah like my bull this year it was later in the year he was already cowed up so he he would respond and challenge us from across the basin but there was zero chance he was leaving those cows like he would he would scream at us and then walk another hundred yards towards his cows turn around and scream at us again but there was no disrupting him and pulling him away from those cows. No, no, for yeah. sure. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, for sure. No. Okay. Okay. So I, I'm getting me all fired up. I just want to talk about elk the whole time. I'm going to get distracted. I get all fired up. I, elk's kind of my, like, I think like if I had to pick one, elk is like my, kind of my favorite hunt. It kind of brings together all the elements of hunting that kind of fire me up, the, the calling component, the still hunting aspect of it the spot and stock it's got it all right it's um 
Yeah, I think it, it gets everybody, as you could probably tell from my voice there as well. I got a little fired up because elk, elk hunting, it really is. It's the full meal deal. You have the whole everything. It's a blast. Well, I, I meant to ask you this. So, so as a kid, what what hunting did you kind of cut your cut your like cut your teeth on? Like, what was your where did you start? What's your foundation of skills as a hunter? Uh, what species were you chasing after? Blacktail, Region Two Blacktail, just the most frustrating um like soaking wet cold nasty miserable days where i probably spent half of my time in the bush crying and begging my dad to take me back to the truck because i knew we had still pizza waiting there um like that's that's the majority of my childhood hunting was you know hand me down logging clothes and uh and going around in just disgustingly wet coastal rainforest god yeah i i didn't actually I, I, I'm in like year three or four now of blacktail hunting and like, it's so hard. It's so freaking hard. Like, I've actually avoided it because I, I grew up as a whitetail hunter mm-hmm. and like they live in beautiful places where you like sneak around a nice quiet forest and you spot lots of DC like 20 deer a day. It's really fun. Yeah. You know, like blacktail hunting is not like that. No. What's blacktail hunting like? White, white tail are like a fair weather animal. They like the, the pleasant days. If it's nasty, if it's raining, if it's snowing, they'll bed down a lot of the yeah. time. Blacktail bed down when it's nice. And if it's the, the, the grossest, most miserable, foggy, cold, gross day, that's when they move and that's when you got to be out there. Um, it, yeah, no blacktail hunting. I guess as a young kid, because I fell in love with blacktail hunting, everything else on, after that just seems amazing and so fun <laughs> yeah well okay so so you so you har- so i saw in a post you harvested a blacktail with a bow this year where does it rank i, I was going to ask you of, of this year yeah which which is the what okay what was the i was asking about the hardest hunt and i kind of got the most memorable hunt out of that good, answer good call um and, and then and then what 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 hunt would be the hardest like yeah, like what 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 is actually the like the one that you would you feel most I maybe like the most stoked about? Yeah, I would well, I think I get the direction you're going with your question and I would say my archery blacktail is the mood you're putting out there is leading directly towards my archery blacktail. Um you know, I I was fortunate enough I had a very successful start to my hunting season. Um you know, I I went out sheep hunting and I didn't get my sheep, but I still came home with a beautiful muley so i can't complain about that trip um but yeah my blacktail like i kid you not i was out there hiking around in some nasty conditions and bumping into does and getting in close but it was blacktail hunting is if if you go out and hunt three days and you see two does like you're doing good in a lot of areas um mm-hmm. and and i was really questioning my sanity through all of this if i'm being perfectly honest and and uh yeah, the morning it came together, I was in complete disbelief because I was out there and I was like, I had come to terms with the fact that I was likely just hiking around the bush and having a good time. And I was like, <laughs> I'm I'm not going to cut a tag. This isn't going to happen for me. And then, and then when it came together, the way it came together, it was just wild. It was pretty cool. <clears throat> well, walk me through it. I'm I, I, I am most interested in your blacktail hunt out of all the hunts. Yeah, it's the one that I, I I have the best opportunity to learn a little bit from you. So so yeah, no, I I had been like I checked out a lot of different areas. Um, you know, I I was going all over God's country checking out for for some spots where I thought okay, like blacktail hunting's challenging enough, but to find an area where I'd be close quarters when I did spot my buck and be able to make an opportunity happen with my bow. And I was checking out a bunch of different areas and, and finding great sign, bumping deer close, and it, it just wasn't coming together. And then the morning, what kind of forest are you in when you're like, what kind of forest do you key in on when you're looking for black I tails? I try and focus on, um, like, I'll pick certain areas where I know their migratory paths um, leading towards kind of your wintering ground, which will be your south facing mossy bluffs. Um, ideally, if you can find some nice open old growth. Um, like like areas like like that, I guess. Um, you know, they're they're all over region too. If you spend enough time looking for them, um, but yeah, like south facing bluffs, just base and like next to rock slides, like this kind of nasty stuff that you really, as a whitetail hunter, wouldn't want to spend time in. Basically, <laughs> if you look in an area and go, man, I hope I never have to go in there. That's where you go. <laughs> that's where they are. Um, the spots where you'll find like these nice little, if you can find nice little havens 
surrounded by absolutely disgusting slides, wind blown areas. Um, but there's like this beautiful little pocket where there's just old growth, things like that. That's where I've tended to find some nice sign. Um, but a lot of, I mean, like I said, I've been hunting it since I was a kid. So I, I use some of that Intel as well. Areas that I've hunted since I was a young buck. Um, so it, it, it kind of came together a little bit that way. But, uh, but yeah, the morning it happened, man, I was, I was out there and I was really, really trying to hunt it slow. And it was an area where I was like, okay, hey, normally it's going to take me, f- you know, three hours to hunt this area, but I'm going to take all day to push through this one block of timber. And I was taking two steps and listening and glassing and standing there and letting everything calm down and taking two more steps and standing there. And to the point where I was like bored to tears, cause I was like, I can't wait till I can just pass this tree see some more area. Like I've taken, you know, I've been here for 10 minutes and I haven't seen any new country because I've moved five yards. This is a waste of my time. Um, but I tried so much other stuff. I was like, I'm just going to do it. And then all of a sudden through the, through the fog, I was just coming up on this one bluff. I really wanted to check out and the wind was switching back and forth, which was, I'm finally in the area I want to check out and the winds, it's like the morning thermals are switching and the wind's messing with me. I was like, of course I finally get here and it's messing with me. Um, but I make this little play and then I see something move through the fog and it's right on this bluff. I'm like, okay, there's movement over there. Gotta be a deer in this area I'm at. So I'm, I'm feeling good about it. And then first time I've ever heard it, all of a sudden I hear a buck grunting like nonstop. Yeah. And it was just burp, 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 burp. But I've never heard blacktail grunt before. Like I've heard whitetail, I've heard muleys, but like never a blacktail like that. And right away I was like, well, this just got really interesting. Here I am. Like in my mind, I'm fully defeated on on getting a, a blacktail with my bow. It's not going to happen. I'm just out here, you know, sightseeing. Um, and then all of a sudden I'm like, oh my gosh, that's not that far away. And there was this strip of thick timber, like not thick timber, but the, these trees that were really noisy looking between me and the deer, the bluff they're on. Like, man, this is, of course, I'm finally close to a buck and I'm not even going to be able to get eyes on them. And I had a little can call with me, one of those little flip over doe bleats. And I can hear this buck chasing the doe. And I'm like, all right, can't hurt. So I just grab the little thing out of my pocket, flip it over. And, and I put it back in my pocket and I just stand there. And I'm like, okay, I'm just going to keep inching my way over and get through these trees. So I'm going along. And right as I'm about to push close to these trees, I'm standing in probably the most open spot where I am. It's like this ballpark. All of a sudden, I can see this doe stop where she was. I didn't let out another bleat since the one I had let out earlier. And she stops and for God knows why, starts walking towards me through this strip of trees. And I'm watching her. I'm like, oh my gosh, she's coming like right towards me. This this doesn't happen. (laughs) Everything goes wrong when you want it to happen. It doesn't go right. And I'm sitting there and she comes walking through the trees and she lifts her head and stares at me. And it's still this foggy kind of morning blue light. And she catches me in the wide open and I'm not a small guy and I'm kind of silhouetted. So I'm standing there. I'm like, just don't move, Joe, don't move. And she stares at me and I think she has me made. And then she goes back to feeding and she's doing her thing. And then next thing you know, I see another deer creeping behind her with his nose on the ground, just sniffing. And I'm like, oh my gosh, there's no way this guy's actually going to follow through on her tracks. I mean, you've hunted enough, like stuff just doesn't, they, they never, they never read the script. I'm like, okay, he's coming through the trees, her head's down feeding. So I knock an arrow and I'm waiting. And next thing you know, sure as he follows her tracks perfectly, comes right out 18 yards. I draw back. He kind of pauses right as he lifts his head and looks at me. I'm like, sorry, buddy, too late. Release the arrow, hear the smack. And I mean, he spun and went down. I think he went 12 yards, like the old uh, didn't go 20 adage. Like he piled up and... To me, it was just this, like this overwhelming, oh my gosh, it actually happened. I went from complete certainty that it wasn't going to happen to here he was down and 18 yards. Like I'm thinking I'm going to have to do this nasty shot through the bush and it's going to be a, you know, crazy angles on the bluff, something like that. And I mean, just a perfect parallel, like 20 yard practice shot and down he went. Oh my God. Yeah. Well, that's, that's so much fun. You get me fired up. I, Friends of mine, I, I, friends of mine bought me a uh, a compound bow for my fortieth birthday, and this is now going back a few years now. But uh, so I've had a, I've had this beautiful bow that my friends pitched in on and bought me, and I've been shooting it like a fair bit, but not enough that I would ever feel comfortable 
going and shooting something. And I, and I have the unfortunate, I mean, living in the city, I don't really have the option of just like going to my backyard, you know, and, and shooting a few arrows. I, I don't think you're allowed to in Vancouver. And, uh, <laughs> so, so, uh, and I, and I have joined the club and stuff, but you know, there's, there's a, there's a, there is a, uh, archery club out in, in, um, Burnaby. So I've, I've, I've done that a bit, but you gotta make time for it. Right. And, and, uh, yeah, yeah I just haven't, I, got, I, but I'm fired up. That's maybe, maybe next year is the year. It, it, it takes a lot of work, but to be honest, um, know your comfort ranges. Like people go out there and they're like, oh, I'm not going to go in the bush until I can shoot my bow 120 yards like Cameron Haynes and, and you know, mm-hmm. shoot the top of a bottle cap. And I'm like, you don't have to do that. Just respect your limits. If you can shoot 60 yards at the range comfortably and know that under pressure, you can maybe go out to 30 to 40 yards, then just go out there and stick to the fact that you can shoot that range. Like yeah. Yeah. I'm six eight two seventy. If I can get within eighteen yards of a blacktail, anybody can get within eighteen yards of a blacktail, man. I'm telling you. You just gotta get lucky and you gotta make the right move when they make the wrong move. But like if if that taught me anything, it's you know, just get out there. Like this spring I was comfortable shooting out to one ten, one twenty with my bow. But still going wow. out there in the bush, I, I wasn't I would never shoot an animal at that range. Going out in the bush, I just knew, you know. 40 in 50 in like I'd be pretty dang confident with my shots so like that's what it comes down to like I think a lot of people get intimidated as soon as they think of a bow and they think oh my gosh I'll never be able to become proficient with that as a weapon but I think with with the technology out there like modern technology with archery gear mm-hmm. like unless you're going trad bow and like really going to your sticking to your roots like these compound bows that are out there with the sights and everything like to get to really confident around the 30 to 40 range, it, it takes time, but but nothing like absolutely crazy. It's not unattainable for anybody. No, and I, I it's not so much, I mean, I, I would, one of the things that to, to relate to that is that, is, is that probably the majority of deer I've shot have been under 50 yards with a rifle. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I, I typically am a timber hunter, so I mean, lots of deer have been, you know, at under 20 yards, uh, this is just how it happens sometimes. Oh, it happens a lot. Like I've shot more deer under 50 yards than I have shot over 200 yards. That's for darn sure. Yeah. And, um, and, and so, uh, but the other, the thought that kind of rests with me that I struggle with when thinking about bow hunting, is like, like I still miss deer with a rifle at 50 yards because of poor decision-making or situational factors that are, you know, I, I didn't, didn't see in that moment. So like, I'm yeah. like, wouldn't this be amplified if I was like, wouldn't this miss rate amplify if I was using a bow and like, yeah, it's very, it's very humbling. Um, and you become very aware of your weaknesses as a hunter. I think, um, like you mentioned, like obviously hunting with a rifle, it's very forgiving with a bow as well. Um, like I've had a lot of close calls where you do not release an arrow because you have to be very confident. I mean, you, Everybody knows you hate injuring an animal, but if you injure an animal with a rifle, you take a bad shot at an animal with a rifle, like chances are you're still going to be able to get on it and recover it. But if the only weapon you have in your hands is a bow and it's not a perfect shot and you have to pursue that animal for the rest of your day. And then when you get close, you still have to finish it with your bow. That's, that's a lot of weight. So I I would say it, it teaches you a lot as a hunter, but, um, heck, even if you just get that bow out there and you feel confident with it, um, and you, you never release an arrow, your next time walking around the bush with a rifle, you're going to be like, oh man, like this is, <laughs> your, your confidence is through the roof. It's it's unbelievable yeah. because you, everything's second nature, right? And, and I mean, with a rifle, if you spend enough time with a rifle in your hand, you just, you don't even have to think about it. The, the, you know, the rounds chambered, safety's off, like everything, your, your eyes on the scope and you're in it. With your bow, there's a lot mm. more things you have to consider as you go through it. But if you come, if you become comfortable with the bow, the rifle just becomes that much more proficient for you. Well, I think it might be a good, it might be a good process for me to go through to spend more time with the bow because, like, I still I actually don't like shooting very much. Like my rifle, I actually dislike it a lot. Mm-hmm. I, I I have a lot of, I still have a flinch. I still like, 
oh, I, I hate it actually. Like I don't, I don't go to the range and like, oh, this is this is enjoyable. I'm like, you know, I, I, I it's a frustrating process. I, I never shoot as well as I <laughs> should shoot, considering I'm, you know, been doing this for a long freaking time and teach people how to do it. Um, but I'm really aware of my my faults and my poor decision making as a rifle hunter. But what I do enjoy is shooting the bow. Like I go, I, I it's I find it therapeutic. I find it meditative. I find it like, and I, I'm on this great progression where I continue to improve, mm-hmm. and I actually enjoy it. Whereas rifles and stuff, I just don't enjoy. And that's like, yeah, I've, like a lot of levels of that. But yeah, there's something very therapeutic or meditative about shooting a bow. Um, I'm sure I, I'm not a huge golfer, but I'm sure it's very similar to golf. Just the more t- the more variables you add into it and the less mechanical a process, I, I don't know, mechanical or, or less automated a process gets, um, the more rewarding and connected you become with it. So I think the fact there are so many variables and so many things you have to think about, you can almost get into this trance if you go out and spend time with your bow. It's really cool. And it's something that yeah, I, mean, I would love. Oh, go ahead. No, I was just, I would love nothing more to be able to like take half an hour out of every day and just shoot my bow in the backyard. Like that would, that would be really good for my mental health. I think it would be amazing. I, I, gotta, I want, like, that's one of my goals. One day I got a, a, a new place here in, in Brackendale and I'm very happy with the house we have. But one of the things I was like, I really wish I had a big enough yard that I could set up a proper range because that is absolutely something I would do would be go out and shoot every single day. Whereas now when I go shoot, I still go shoot quite frequently, but it's, you know, load your gear in the truck and, and then go to the location set up and then shoot. And whenever you have those disconnects, it just makes it that much more challenging. Yeah, totally. No, you gotta, you gotta build in a system that you, you do, you know, it's like yoga. I, I'm a big yoga guy and I just like have my yoga mat ready to go. I first thing I stumble out, in the morning and get on my mat for half an hour. And it's just like building that, building that routine is the only way I do stuff, you know, properly. And yeah, totally. All right. So I want to, I want to switch, I want to switch gears here a little bit uh, and talk a little bit about food. I, I, I like, I like some of your posts. You, you, you post about food. And you're like, you're obviously fired up about food. The one actually I, I was looking at today, I was, I thought it was a good tip is that, you had a you had a scene in an in Instagram post where you had some meat cut up ready to go onto the fire, and you and you had it resting on a, on a bow, on a uh, like a fur bow or something like that. Just keep it up off the ground. I was like, that's a hot tip, man. Like, uh, <laughs> just break out a couple of boughs as like a, as somewhere to like lay out meat, and uh, so it stays nice and clean, and, and, and the, you can salt it there or season it there. And then, so my question: What's your favorite way to cook meat over a fire? Favorite way to cook meat over a fire. Um, yeah, your favorite way to cook meat over a fire. I think like for me, the most rewarding, fulfilling um, meal that a guy can cook over fire is actually the one you're referring to right now. Um, that picture was taken when we were processing my moose and we had, we had kind of, we're cutting everything off, being careful. Obviously you have to quarter a moose. You're not where we shot it. We're not dragging it out of the bush. Um, and anytime you do that, there's imperfect cuts when you're taking it off and you realize okay there's this little scrap left and if you take those scraps sometimes and you throw them in the bag they they're gonna get dirt on whatever and quite often they can get wasted or go to the kind of the scrap pile or something um but i love doing what you mentioned i cut a a bow off of a tree that's around me and as you're cutting it you get those little pieces that maybe don't come off the spine like the back strap or whatever these cuts are and i just slice them up and i set them on that bow and we had a fire and I just seasoned them up for the boys. I always, always, always keep some, some spices in my backpack. Um, I think that was just, uh, some high mountain elk spice. I had my, it was moose and it was an elk spice. So, you know, forgive me. Oh, it wasn't the right no. species, but it worked Across out. The streams, man. Um, but yeah, just like there's something so primal about like next to the animal you just harvested, having a fire and then lightly seasoned if, if at all, and just cooking it over the fire right there and, and having it with the guys or the people that are on that hunt with you. Um, like to me, it didn't matter. I kid you not. I could have cut out the freaking muscle around the butthole and ate it cooked over the fire like that. But just that experience <laughs> to me um, and sharing it with those guys was so cool. And we, we sat there. We, I mean, obviously you have a lot of work to do when you're processing a moose. But just taking a minute and really soaking it all in and appreciating the fact that um, like there's so many reasons that we, that we take on this pursuit for the outdoors. But for me, um, just a very true and honest reason that I've been involved with it since I was a little kid was putting food on the table. 
So, mm-hmm. um, you know, in that moment, being thankful for the scraps, like we're not even eating the nicest meat over the fire there. We're literally eating the scraps so they don't go to waste. Um, and just, just kind of embracing that for me is one of the coolest, coolest ways that I like to eat my wild game. Yeah. That first, well, this is something I, I surprise, like I, I kind of feel like I'm like, I'm, I'm late to the game on this whole fire cooking. Like I, 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 as a park ranger, I, I, I was an early adopter to like ultralight stoves and pots and like kind of having a light kit. And I have got this hunting mentor that's like by 70 now, Jeff. And he's sort of like, we've been doing adventure hunts are, you know, forever. He's like, why do you even bring that shit? You can just go over a fire, you know, like, <laughs> like you, you don't need that. Well, you know, why would you bother? <laughs> early season BC nowadays, you need it because we're not, we're having all these forest fires and whatnot. But, uh, but yeah, just, sure. just cooking over an open flame. I, I don't care what anybody says. You'll, you'll never get a better cut than cooking over a proper open flame fire in the bush like that is just um when i'm out hunting we almost always um if we're allowed fires at the time i'll cut down three equal length timbers and i'll make a tripod and i bring a little bit of of baling wire or hay wire and we'll make a, a tripod and we'll cook over the fire and i'll like we'll do ribs we'll do meat we'll do whatever the heck you want over it and and that is just such a because when you're having the fire, you're sitting around the fire with everybody, you're sharing stories, you're embracing it. And I mean, you know, as well as I know, th- sitting around a campfire is just therapeutic in itself. And I think mm-hmm. sitting around a fire, cooking around the fire, doing all of that, it's, it's, if, if you're not doing that, I think you're missing out on a lot of the experience and being the, in the outdoors and connected with it all. Well, I'm just kind of fired up about the, the, like, you just gave me a new idea about, like, yeah, three sticks and a piece of haywire that gives you a cooking technique. A buddy of mine showed me a fire rock cooking method on our last sheep hunt. You just, you just heat up a flat rock, lay it next to the fire for 20 minutes. It gets ripping hot. You flip it over, dust it off, lay your strips on there. Amazing. Like, and like, so, I mean, then there's traditional grill cooking and, and I, like, there's, I actually got a tip from another buddy of mine, uh, Connor Gabbett. He's in the, he does does work behind the camera and he was saying like just just bring a little bit of tin foil like four four feet of tin foil it weighs nothing and you can actually turn that into a little frying pan in the backcountry like if it's like it weighs a couple ounces mm-hmm. like, that's smart man okay so i, I so I'm, I'm feeding on this idea of like yeah more and more cooking techniques on the fire and and the funny part about it is it's like i feel sort of ashamed because it's like oh yeah like we're human beings like we, we've been cooking over a fire for like a million years or something, you know, like for quite a while. And like, obviously we figured out all kinds of different techniques and, and I, I'm kind of curious to learn that now. And, and um, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, you can do journey. another good way to do it is if you find a little brush, that has got a branch with a fork in it. Um, then you just got to find one other piece. You cut it, stick it in the ground and you have like a little sawhorse. You can, you can make a little rotisserie in yeah. the bush so easily and have that over a nice fire. Um, the, the flat rock cooking method I've, I've done that quite a few times. It's like a glorified skillet or hot plate. Um, yeah. Like I, I think when it comes to open flame cooking, there's no wrong way to do it. I've had great meat where we literally just got the coals ripping hot and just set the meat right on the coals. Well, then there's my, my friend Jody Pack, who's wild Northern way. She does a lot of cooking with us for eat wild stuff. Mm-hmm. She does like a, uh, we do this three day hunter workshop and at the last day of the workshop, we do this big long table feast and she does the whole feast over the fire. Um, she like, she buries like root vegetables and potatoes in the fire and, and wrapped up like, or not even wrapped up actually just like throws a whole like gourd in the, in the, in, uh, in the coals and like covers it up and then opens it up and just scrapes all the goodness out of it and throws a bit of butter in it. And then we cook a, we debone a lamb and and put it over top of the fire and like on a grill it's just like the whole thing is done on a fire and it's just like i'm just fascinated by it as are our participants as well so i'm like so like we're gonna start doing um fire cooking workshops because jody's a pro at this she's been doing it her whole life she's a she's an ex she's been um uh worked in the hunting industry her whole life and been a guide and a cook up in in hunting camps her whole life so it's the old hat for her and i'm and i'm just like totally fascinated so Anyways, I'm I'm fired up about that. Okay, I got a couple more questions. We're coming up on an hour here. Okay. But I got a couple thoughts here I want to ask you. Okay, so <clears throat> you were a offensive lineman in football. I'm very offensive. Right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was okay. I was an O lineman most of my career. Yeah. Okay, so what requires more focus, like setting up across from, 
you know, a, 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 a pass rusher who's going to like tear apart your quarterback or standing behind the tree as the doe walks by you with your bow, knowing a buck is coming. What, oh. what requires more focus? You, you, I want to say hunting is a more difficult part. I would say that for me, holding myself together when I'm hunting is much more challenging because I am like a freaking five-year-old at like at Christmas. Like it's, you're literally, it's a, it's an internal battle. Um, so it's, it's it, at times it feels like it's honestly not so much you against the animals. It is you against yourself. You're like, okay, it's happening. Uh-huh. Don't screw this up. And 99% of the time you do because you overthink it or, or, you know, screw it up that way. But, um, as an O-lineman, it's very calculated. Like, uh, for us, especially once I got to the level I was competing at playing professional, like literally a difference between a six inch step to a 12 inch step at a 45 degree angle. And we have a matter of seconds and I have to make calls. We have shortened terminology for every, every step I'm going to take. I have to communicate with every other guy on the line who then speaks to the receivers, running backs, quarterback, everybody. Mm -hmm. And we have to change it based on the defensive front down distance. Like it's, it's very calculated and very formulated and we have to understand all the percentages and likelihoods. So I would say that, um, in all reality and that side, the athletic side of it's a lot more challenging. It's, it's probably the more boring answer, but the truth is once you get to that (laughs) level, the majority of our time, uh, when we were practicing and everything was film study and literally like, why do you take an eight inch step here? Joe is supposed to be a six inch step. Like very, very, very calculated. It's not the kind of meathead mentality that most people, um, associate with football. It's very, very difficult and calculated. It's kind of boring. (laughs) Okay, we'll try another one. Try another one. Okay, Far away. so you're an offensive. Okay, you're an offensive lineman. So that means that like you're you're, you're protecting the quarterback. Mm-hmm. But every once in a while, like the play breaks down, and the quarterback has got to like throw a screen pass to somebody. Okay, you're the open guy. Okay, so would you rather be the open offensive lineman that catches the ball, and you got a clear path for a touchdown in a championship game, or would you rather? Come over the top of a peak, looking down the ridge below you, and there's a there's a there's a band of seven rams. Three of them are legal, and you have a fairly reasonable chance to sneak down to get into range with them. What situation would you find your would you want to find yourself That's in? That's not even a contest, man. I would take the rams a hundred <laughs> times out of a hundred. Like you, you could ask me that question as many times as you want. <laughs> And I am going with the exact same answer. I, I don't know if you're aware of it or not, but I'm I'm a member of the less than one club. Like I I've got zero Rams in my life, and that's a that's a big kind of block on like on my shoulder there. But uh no. Well, how many great cups do you have? I one. The hundredth great cup. So it was a good one to get. The hundredth great cup is a nice one to have. Believe it or not, actually here. I'll show you. I got it sits here on my desk. Here's my gray cup ring for you. Oh, hey, man. That's really cool. It's a little... Awesome. Yeah. Argonaut. But, uh, yeah, no. I'm taking I'm taking a ram. I don't... I touched... Score a touchdown. I was in a lineman, man. I didn't I didn't play football for the glory. Uh, we we got blamed for everything. It doesn't matter what you ask me. I would take, an, I would take my blacktail, my little blacktail. I would take that sucker over a touchdown any day. <laughs> I knew that was going to be the answer, but... But back when we did the intro, I was like, oh, yeah, this guy's all hunting. Yeah. <laughs> I, had, I had to think long and hard about that question, though, so I still had to ask it. All right. All right. So the reality is um, next year, well, when's the baby due? The baby is due any day now, according to the doctor. So I'm I'm on red alert. I'm on, on house arrest. Um, like, I do not leave my wife's side right now. Cool. I'm glad I caught you before it all went down because I have a feeling you're going to be a little bit. Time's going to be a little less available. Yeah, I, I would say it'll it'll get a little busy here. I I have this naive mindset that I think I'll be able to handle it given everything I've gone through in my life, but I'm pretty sure I'm in for a very very rude awakening. <laughs> all right. Well, you are. I, I I'm no I'm no expert on this. That's not my it's not my wheelhouse. But everybody that I've seen go through this, and I've had a lot of hunting partners come and go. That have gone through this and they come back again eventually. Just sometimes it's like, it's like they come back after like 10 years, but they bring a hunting partner with them, which is awesome. So I've got a lot of my hunting partners now 
who had kids are now bringing back their kids. So our whitetail camp's lots of fun now because we've got a bunch of these like young, like deadly ten year old hunters showing up. It's awesome. But, and you have um, you have pack horses. That's what you have. Yeah, little pack horses. <laughs> yes, little pack horses. Absolutely. Um, so okay, uh, what do you, how do you what are you most excited about for next year? I mean, obviously the baby coming, but in the context that like you might have to put a little bit of time to prioritize your adventure for next year. What do you, what are you excited about? So this year, uh, just the way everything shaped up, I did not get to do a stone sheep hunt. Um, I, there's something that I just find so, I don't even know the right words for it, but a traditional true backpack stone sheep hunt to me where it's, you know, you hike in and you just put in the work. It, it, I find it very fulfilling because I test myself. You know, you have the the purest, rawest highs and lows, um, and and that to me is something that I'm really looking forward to. Is just to be honest, those challenging, hard moments in the backcountry, and I, I think it's going to be very interesting for myself as well because now, not like in the past, I've I've you go through those highs and lows, and you you go through those moments of self doubt and wondering you know, what the heck you're doing out there. And now for me, I think it's just going to be another level of the challenges. I'm going to be out there in some of these toughest moments and I'm going to be like, well, not only am I, am I struggling with what I'm up against and, and, you know, I'm exhausted and physically tired and and doubting myself, but I could be at home with my wife and son. Like that's, that's going to be really challenging. Mm -hmm. So I'm, I'm looking forward to those really terrible, miserable moments and pursuing that and then pushing through it. So that's, I would say my stone sheep hunt and just the, seeing how I react when I'm faced with those like really low lows. That's in a weird way, something I'm looking forward to. Cool. Do you, do you have a, a sheep hunt in mind? Do you have a, a bit of a plan coming together? A little bit of a plan. Yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, we, I, it's just a lot of e-scouting, a lot of checking out different areas. Um, and then a lot of grunt work. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, yeah, no, we've got yeah. a few different areas we're looking into. And uh, yeah, we'll see which direction we decide to go when the time comes. That's that's pretty exciting. And then, what's on the schedule for for next year with with the show with uh, with the Edge? Uh, with the Edge, we got some really cool stuff. I've still got some cool hunts. Believe it or not, I've got some cool hunts coming this season. Still, I'm going to be doing a cat hunt throughout the winter. Um, okay, I really want to try and call a cougar in um, with my bow. So I really want to try approaching it a different direction. I know a lot of people do that method for lynx. Um, you know, huh. cut track, hike the track and try and call them in and just set up against the tree and put some time in. So that's going to be a goal of mine this, this, um, winter, you know, pending the fact that my wife doesn't shoot me if I try and leave the house. And, uh, and then I have a late season goat hunt as well. So I'm going to be going on a February goat oh. hunt. That's going to be again, a, a big challenge being away from my new child and my wife and, you know, February, in the goat hills is not notorious for being the most pleasant place to be um or the safest too yeah that's yeah i pulled the pin on a couple of uh goat hunts now because of the just the uh well between the avi conditions mm -hmm. and the weather conditions that were but that were just rolling in on us i was like this can't do it it's just too scary yeah and i think that's to be perfectly honest that's part of the allure to me i think i'm a sucker for punishment um, but yeah, it's going to be, it's going to be a big <laughs> opportunity for personal growth. We'll put it that way. <laughs> but yeah, so I have, I have that coming at me. Um, uh, my hunt schedule next year is, is really, it's looking great. Like we're kicking it off. I'm going back to Argentina. I was in Argentina when, oh, cool. when COVID hit, I'm going back to Argentina with some good friends. We're going to go chase some stag and some Asianic water buffalo. Um, nice. and then, yeah, kind of just steamroll it from there. I'm going to get back over my sheep hunt. I'm going to do some cool stuff. I've, I do a lot of spring black bear hunting on my own, but I've never filmed it before. So I kind of want to do that so people can see the real nasty highs and lows of that one and the frustrating moments. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it's, it's going to be a fun season as again, this, this is my plan. It all depends on how things go. With the, so with why, the why don't we do this again next year at this time? We'll see how well your plan worked out. I, I like the sound <laughs> of that, man. Now that we finally connected, I am all for it. You let me know and we'll sit down. As long as I have enough time to pour a whiskey, we can sit down and have a good talk. 
Yeah, man, this has been fun, man. I, I've enjoyed I've enjoyed this and getting to know you a bit. And I mean, what a, what a great adventure you're on, and uh, and you're setting out on even a more fun adventure with the baby coming and mix those two together and see what comes of it. I'm I'm stoked for you, man. Thanks, Dylan. I really appreciate it. And yeah, absolutely, we need to get together and have a good whiskey one of these days. And who knows, maybe run around in the bush together. Yeah, I'd love to. Well, I I, I know that you're you're also friends with a friend of mine, Jay. That. Uh, uh, that uh, you guys met out there hunting last year, I think, or maybe that was two years ago now. And he's a big fan of you. And uh, maybe the the three of us are can get out for a, a bit of a roam around looking for bears Absolutely. or something. Be a lot of fun. Talking about good seasons, he had himself a heck of a season. He had a beautiful spring bear hunt. Like him and his buddies did great. And then I think you guys yeah. went out and connected on a dandy elk with him too. Like you guys did yeah, really good. Yeah, just tremendous elk. But then his girlfriend, uh, Ashley, like killed a monster whitetail like just this like just a beautiful whitetail and 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 jay every every weekend i talked to jay he'd be like like what are you doing and he's like oh i gotta try and go head out with ashley to try and get her a buck and it, this was like a weekend after weekend and then i get these pictures from ashley and they're just this tremendously beautiful whitetail buck like like i you know and i know the area she was in i you know i know i, I i've only seen a handful of bucks that would would hang out with that buck Wow. On, on the wall you know like it's really cool and a great story and uh yeah so they they've got their they, uh, they've got their uh so jay's got his antlers done up now and he's got them on the wall they live in like a 400 square foot apartment right so he's got his antlers set up and then she's got her antlers sitting inside of his antlers on the wall they got them decorated with their, their christmas lights and oh that's it's, so cool it's pretty fun pretty awesome so they, they've had a great season and uh yeah, they're good friends so no yeah, that's awesome man that. I, I love seeing you know, people have good seasons and he's somebody who works his tail off. So for them to get that success, just, it, it's nice to see. Well, right on. Well, you'll have to check out. I've got him on a podcast sharing his adventure. So I'll, 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 I'll share that with you when it comes out. It's uh it's in the queue. Uh, but yeah, this has been Dude. fun, man. Thanks for taking the time. And um, yeah, if people want to find you, how do they, how do they connect with you? How do they connect with me? Well, they, as you mentioned, they can catch us on The Edge on Wild TV, um, which is a subscription channel through any major provider. Or now it's available on the Wild TV app, uh, available for download, so you can stream it as much as you want. Or the easiest way to follow me personally um, is through my Instagram. It is Joe underscore Appel or Joe Appel. I, it's terrible. I don't know what it is, um, but People I'm on Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> you can follow along there if you want right on man I'll stop this and we'll catch up anyways thanks everyone for listening hey folks I hope you enjoyed that podcast now we'd love to hear from you so drop us a question either on our Instagram or email me directly at dylan at eatwild.ca and we'll do our best to answer that question on our future podcast, or we might even build an entire podcast based on your questions. So thanks for doing that. So if you want to hear more from Eat Wild, you can come join us. We're doing a series of Eat Wild Learn to Hunt webinars. So we're getting together on a monthly basis, talking about all things hunting with a group of mentors through a webinar format. They're tons of fun. Come join us there. Now, if you happen to live in the Vancouver, British Columbia area, we do in-person workshops where we get together, learn fundamental skills for you to be a better hunter. Hope you can hang out for one of those too if you happen to be in the area. Now, we'd love it if you could leave a review or a comment wherever you listen to your podcast. That'd be a great help to us. And more importantly, share this podcast with folks who care about the stuff we're talking about. So thanks for doing that. Until next time, Eat well and wild. Well.